Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm really excited about this episode today because we're going to take a little bit different path than we usually do. We're going to dive into the world of cured meats. And this plays into restaurants, and restaurants are going to be a very big part of this conversation. But this is also a little bit different path than we have as usual. So I feel like I need someone who is an expert in this to bring me down that path. And that's why I have brought on a true craftsman, an expert in the art of salumi. This is Tony Encondro. He is the butcher and salumist for Certified Piedmontese, and he's also the founder of Encondro Cured. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure being here. Now, what, what makes me excited about this episode is I feel like most people who listen to this show are like me. They're restaurant fanatics, and they love food. But they're probably pretty unfamiliar, at least somewhat unfamiliar with the world of salumi because it's it, it's just it's so different. It's connected with food, but it, it is kind of its own thing. So I would love to just open it up to you by introducing Encontro Cured via your Instagram description, which reads, Proudly the first American artisan of, a, of USDA 100% certified purebred manga... Mangalitsa? Mangalitsa. Mangalitsa Salumi. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to open that up to you because that sounds so impressive, but I don't really have any idea what it means. What does it mean? Well, it's for one, it's a mouthful to hear someone else (laughs) read it back to me, but I wanted to get the point across that this brand I started over three years ago and 10 years in the making is, you know, exactly what that does say. Um, It's breed specific. It's focused on a very rare and some call exotic breed of pig. Um, and I touched this pig's, you know, meat and fat for the first time in 2009 and haven't turned away from it since then, honestly. It's the only pig I've used uh, in that time period. So um, we're just very proud of it. You know, it's hard to do in this country uh, because everything kind of revolves around commodity and box pork or box beef and what's available at the, you know, at the drop of a hat to get in your restaurant or facility at any you know at any given time this takes a lot more work and cultivating with the farmer and just knowing the breed and how to work with it and turn it into something truly unique and special um i think it's been going very well for us Mm -hmm. i found a quote of yours i'm not sure when it's from but i'm pretty sure it still applies you said america needs a cured meat brand like encontro cured this craft exemplifies what was a way of nourishment and the way to eat from livestock throughout the entire year for many of our ancestors. That's a pretty heavy quote. Can mm-hmm. you unpack that and explain that a little bit more for me? Yeah, I mean, again, just going back to what I said about, you know, commodity pork and all that being available, this was a way of life of, you know, European and I'm sure, uh, of course, uh, other regions. It was their way of survival. You know, it was a, a means to eat during winter, you know, something that you worked on in the spring or, you know, early fall, and they, had to, they didn't have refrigeration. So they needed to cure, they needed to salt meat and bury it to be able to later visit it to eat and take care of their families. So, I mean, this that statement saying, like, these people raised pigs, hopefully it went well, and they had to know what they were doing with salt and create a process to feed themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's taking care of the family. Is Is the process of salumi and dry aging more of a science than it is, like cooking or you know the normal preparation of food is not uh, 
baking is kind of thought of as a science, but sure. the normal preparation of food isn't really. Mm-hmm. But would you describe salumi and dry aging as a science? Uh, I would say it's 50-50 okay. science and art. Um, luckily for me, I came from a you know pretty extensive chef background, cook background. Um, so I have that, you know, that love and that, that, that know-how with food and ingredients and how to pair and, and use, you know, ingredients in the right places. Um, and, you know, that background of, of my cooking and chef days has really helped refine what I do with, with salumi and, and charcuterie. Um, and just to preface that, like salumi is the same as charcuterie. It's just the Italian word. So it's the umbrella of all these cured meat types, just like charcuterie is French. Same thing. Um, but it just is, yeah, it's the way that, you know, my chef background and curing has kind of collided. So I have that instincts and, you know, know how to just smell if something is right or needs a little more fennel or some garlic. And even the way the salt reacts with the meat, I can smell it, that it's working right and in the right, you know, rations. Um, and within the other 50%, it's complete science. So, like, when I'm cooking, it's all instincts. I can see it, I can smell it, I can feel it all that. Uh, with salumi, you can do that, but your batches are going to be different every single time. So uh, a lot like baking, I've created master formulas that are uh, a percentage, you know, a percentage formula. Um, I like using the metric system, as you've learned on this show with many other chefs. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's bulletproof. The only thing that changes every time batch to batch is the meat weight. So, I mean, it's, and that's what I talk about with my like background and referencing of refinement. You know, it's, it's small fractions of a percent that I will adjust over time to constantly refine and make something as perfect as it can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely want to get more into your background and kind of, you know, those different paths, the chef background along with, you know, yeah. the curing meats and, and how those come together. But just real quick, just for listeners' sake and for honestly for my sake, I just want to make sure that we're very clear on the relationship between Casa Bovina, which mm-hmm. is the restaurant in Lincoln, the, the Mercado, which is the marketplace that's attached to the restaurant that sells a lot of yep. different pastas, meats, steaks, all kinds of different things, and Encontro Cured. What, what is the relationship between those three parties and, and you, honestly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I moved back to Omaha from um, the Bay Area after 15 years out there, I came here with all intentions to restart the brand, Encontro Cured. Um, was getting very far into that, found a location, was working on, you know, a lease and everything with a good friend and COVID hit. So that fell through, took our step back as everybody else did. And, um, you know, I knew about certified Piedmontese even before moving back and knew what was kind of starting to develop there. And I knew it was special. Um, and so when my, you know, own thing fell through, just, I needed a job. I was playing stay at home dad and all this and that. So, um, I joined, I joined the company and Ben Maids, who's one of my lifelong old friends, was already there. So I joined him in the kitchen and we started, you know, helping to, you know, develop and cultivate what was what this place is today. Um, so that's kind of how it all started. Uh, obviously, he and the people who hired me knew of my extensive background in meat and protein. So that fit in well. So um, I was able to work in the kitchen, help come up with concept and execution up there as well as simultaneously opening up a butcher shop downstairs which is the mercado that you mentioned so these are all like the phases we're going through as this place evolves and uh and contra cured comes in um just naturally so seamlessly you know with this company 
that they're, you know, certified PMTs is just based around a breed of cattle, single breed. They own it. They have the largest, you know, production of this breed in the, in the country, probably the world. And uh, I think they see that same vision with what I'm doing with Mangalitsa. Um, so phase one is kitchen and butcher shop, getting these concepts down. Phase two is what we're working on already, and that is um, starting up a USDA, you know, Salumi facility, which is just an extension of certified Piemontese and where we're creating a value-add program for them. So all the sausages and smoked meats and fun stuff that I've just been running with R&Ding in the Mercado is setting up what we're going to do next door. And along with that, I'm helping design the whole facility and a contracured style of production will will live on there. That is very exciting, and I want to hear more about it. But I got to know about these Mongolitsa pigs yeah. first because they are all over your website. They're all over your Instagram page. Like mm-hmm. It is very clear that you have this, this love for this animal. There's something special mm-hmm. about this thing. In fact, on your website, you even described um, – the hogs as the Kobe beef of pork. Yes. What is so special about this specific mm-hmm. breed of hog? Well, I can't claim that quote, but they do live up to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that quote came from, but I'm using it because it's, you know, it's true and, and their meat qualities and, and to me, you know, they're wonderful fat uh, content. Um, it's a Hungarian breed. Um, you know, I can get into the history of it and how it became, but that's a long story. Um, like I said earlier, I, I first touched this this meat in like 2009 in a restaurant I was working in San Francisco, a very whole animal focused uh, Italian restaurant called Perbaco. Um, this place was just very very heavy, heavy into like regionality of Piedmonte only, um, and really focused on like there was a very extensive salumi program and focused on like I just said regionality of all these different types of salumi, sugos, pasta types, shapes, etc. Um, and yeah, this chef introduced me to this pig as I was just helping with salumi one random day and just seeing the color of its meat and intermuscular marbling that you're like used to seeing when looking at Wagyu beef was like, it just brought me, it just like pushed me back. I was like, what is going on with this? Had a fat cap, like as big as my bicep, <laughs> my biceps aren't that big, but like, you know, for, right, a, fat, it, yeah. for a back fat on a, on a pig, you're used to seeing like an inch, inch and a half. This is well over three inches. It's a lard breed animal. And anybody who knows proper charcuterie and salumi, you know, you can turn good meat into something great, but the fat quality has to be there and be present and be of good quality and consistency. You know, all these different factors for a final product to, for one, cure right, age properly, and lastly, eat beautifully. So this pig just, you know, holds all of those qualities in one. Mm -hmm. And the main thing with it is... Uh, you know, from a very early start of working with this pig and developing a, a program with the farm in Sonoma that had them, I saw the qualities that I've only heard and read about in this pig of Iberical pork from Spain. And, you know, we're real deep into it now that I could, you know, give you great information. But <laughs> my goal with this breed and my product is to rival the best of Spain and Italy. But Spain, it's kind of a, a level up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to compete with that. And, you know, I want them to know what this breed's doing in America and the name and contra cured one day. Um, cause it's American made and I want, you know, chefs to use our product kind of cut back on the import. Mm-hmm. I want to compete with Iberico. It's, it's the highest standard. 
Uh, obviously, to to attain that high standard, you have to start with this amazing product, and like mm-hmm. like you've talked about with these hogs, and and you get these exclusively from Winkler Farms, and from what I can tell, you've developed a very special partnership with the owner over there, uh, Tim Winkler. Can you kind of tell me how that relationship began, and what makes you know clearly you need the best possible product? What makes this the product that you trust for Encontro Cured? Yeah, I mean, just like you hear from all these fantastic chefs you have on your show, you know, you can't have a great plate of food without a wonderful process and you know raw ingredient to start with. You can't, you can't, you can't, you just can't do that. So this pig is that is is that factor for me. Um, when I was working at a winery in Napa after Perbaco, um, I had Mangalitsa in front of my mind, you know, to really uh, ramp up and get part of, you know, my production just based off of it. I didn't know if I can do it all, but it ended up being that. So when I first visited uh, Tim Winkler, uh, just a random day, beautiful Napa summer day, um, I just, I went there and just wanted to see what this guy was up to because he had the largest herd in the region later in the country. Um, and I mean, it was just like you could blindfold somebody and set them where I was and they would be like, well, I'm in the countryside of Spain. So it's just like oak trees, olive trees, just rolling hills. And these pigs are just like, just trotting around. It was beautiful. You know, they were so calm, docile to be around. Um, and just seeing the quality of them and his care and what he put into this area of pasture and forest, I was just like instantly like, I know this guy cares about what he's doing on the farm as much as I do when I'm on the butcher block. And that, you know, relationship was so simultaneous and, and synergistic from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On your website, it makes very clear that you are proud of the fact that this is one breed, one farm, one craftsman. Mm-hmm. It is a very tight-knit operation. And obviously having less people and less parties involved in the process gives you a lot more control and you can um, you own basically everything about it. But I would imagine it probably limits your growth somewhat. It's probably a little bit more expensive, maybe a lot more expensive, I'm not sure. But what is the importance for you in keeping that relationship so tight-knit? Well, the relationship with Tim will, will be forever. I'm also working with LT Mangalitsa, which is a company based out of Nebraska, Pender, Nebraska. They've been, uh, they have a good relationship with Tim Winkler. They're both registered in the Mangalitsa, American Mangalitsa Association. So they, these people, Leon and Tammy from LT, have been buying a heavy amount of genetics and stock from Tim Winkler the last, I think, four to five years. So a lot of Tim's genetics and, and you know, herd qualities are right here in Nebraska. And I will be transitioning into working with them exclusively because Tim's so far away mm-hmm. and he's got his own, you know, business agenda and, and what have you. So a main part of it is, um, like you said, you know, there's, there's no middlemen and uh, this isn't anything, re- you know, remotely related to commodity or commercial farming and protein buying. Um, we're trying to keep it. It's all about education for me. I want, I'm, I'm trying to do something that I feel has not been done in America. I haven't seen it. And I care so much about the craft. So it all starts again on the farm. So it's, it's, it's a continuous you know, roller coaster of trying to maintain a high standard and you know, make it affordable and approachable to the consumer, but educate them on why we do it this way and what it does to the final product of which they're eating and paying for. 
And that's really what it all boils down to is just a, a quality that's unmatched or unparalleled, not being pompous or arrogant. It's just there's a ton of work that goes into it on the farm and, you know, utilizing as much of the animal that comes to me because I'm not just picking parts of the animal. I'm getting a whole pig. I have to turn it into something special and delicious and properly done. Um, and what I'm always trying to do is, you know, pay like, homage to where it comes from and keep it alive. Clearly, you have a lot of love for these mm-hmm. animals sure and do. for and for this specific breed. But you also work for a beef company mm-hmm. now. What has it been like getting to play with, you know, a whole new set of products? Really, you know, you're you're in the world of beef. You get to experience this too. What's that like? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. It's different. You know, every single day. Um, I love it. I, I love working with meat in general. So, and just to put it out there, I would not be with Piedmontese if I didn't believe and their company or liked the meat. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, they have a fantastic concept and model and um, just way of getting things done the right way. Um, So working with a lean beef as opposed to a fat pig has been a fun adjustment and uh, a challenge I am loving to take on. And I mean, I'm learning. That's, that's great. You know, if you're not learning, you're not living, you're not working right. So uh, the beef's wonderful. It's tasty. It's healthy. You know, there's less fat. There's more protein for what you know for what your dollars get you. So, um, it's just been a, a, like I said, a positive learning curve, and very excited for what the future holds for this value add program that we're creating. Well, I love yeah. I love what you just said there about you know your your learning and you're playing with something new because you've been working with these these hogs for years for over a decade yes. and so obviously you're you're constantly learning new things about them you're trying new processes but it's something that you're familiar with at this point mm-hmm. beef gives you the opportunity to continue learning like that that adds spice to life yeah. it's like a yes. chef revamping his menu and and uh you know getting to play with different ingredients and make new dishes like how invigorating is that to not only have you know different cured meats that you're making but just working with a different product entirely a product that functions a lot different than pork does yeah it's very invigorating um and like it's just fun it's not the first time i've worked with beef um i had wagyu beef under my brand when i was you know in the bay area but um this beef is different it it, it just reacts different it's got these you know very clean but buttery texture to it without all that wagyu and intermuscular fat um, and it's really fun to work with in that, you know, in that respect. Um, and working with beef is completely different than pork. When, you know, I get back to how I said fat is, you know, very important in the world of charcuterie. Um, how, how to incorporate the fat of, of 100%, you know, beef into a sausage that I'm so used to with pork, you know, a different ratio, a different uh, temperature, a different emulsifying, you know, uh, reaction. of And when that happens, you know, it's, it's different all across the board, but... I'm pretty well versed in meat, so it's you know it hasn't been uh, a complete foreign project, but it's it's keeping me on my toes and it's fun and we're just, it's tasty. Mm-hmm. We're making it delicious, and it's always about the protein first. I don't try and mask it with everything possible in the cupboard. You know, it tastes good. It's protein first. Right. There's one product that I have to ask you about specifically because when I had the guys from Casa Bovina on mm-hmm. the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Jordan Reed, the general manager, called it out. And I think I almost started salivating as soon as he mentioned it. Beef bacon. Uh, How did you 
develop that? Like, just tell me about this because beef yeah. bacon just sound. I've never heard of it before, but it sounds amazing. It is, and it's got a big following already. So um, there's the same area, you know, on a on a on a pig. It's it's there on beef. Uh, in beef, it's kind of connected to the brisket area and that you know chest and sternum. Um, and before it turns into what's essentially a beef or a cow's belly is uh it's a navel plate it's a short plate it's it looks like a uh like a boneless short rib that's what it looks like so it's got layers of fat and and good lean you know protein and you know meat running through it with some good intermuscular streaking it's a it's a beautiful cut um no longer than you know two feet long by 10 12 inches in diameter or uh in width um and I was just like, well, I do all this stuff with pork. Let's make a beef bacon. It's on the cow. No one uses it. We actually have the spec cut for it in the uh, you know in our in our meat selection through the company. So it's it was easy to order in, and I just applied a cure, and you know mixed to it like I do my pork bacon. Just did a little bit more of an ingredient, you know, more you know driven towards beef flavor profile. Um, same procedure, cure it slow way. I don't brine it. I don't inject it. Dry cured with great spices that are ground day of, um, naturally smoked, long, flavorful, methodically. So it's like balanced and has nuances, um, and it has a big following. It's going over really well. Yeah, so it, it's going over well. It's delicious. You love the product. Mm-hmm. Why is beef bacon not? And maybe maybe I'm just ignorant to it but i've i'd never heard of it before why is beef bacon like not a thing nationally is it just because we're so used to associating bacon with pork that we can't even make that jump in our minds possibly i mean i don't know the answer i mean if you google it there is some beef bacon out there but nothing that's you know commercially available like you know the king of all pork bacon you know it's just not out there but we intend on doing that and trying to you know do something unique and be the guys who Helped really put it on the map. Well, my wife and I, we just got reservations to Casa ah, nice. in a couple weeks. So we are definitely going to be visiting the yeah. Mercado and yeah. getting some of that bacon because it sounds fantastic. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it'll, it'll remind you of almost like a pastrami. Oh. And it doesn't crisp quite like a, like a pork bacon, but it's somewhere in between the two of those. It's the best way I could explain it. Oh, man, and I'm it's excited. Delicious. It's really nice. So just, I mean, just hearing you talk and, and watching your face light up when you talk about the, the art of salumi, it's very apparent that this is something that is just bred deep inside you. And, and that it is something that runs deep in your family. Do you know where that love originated from or, or why your family just got so involved into the love of pork and sausage? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I recall it was, I was around the age of eight, um, I, you know, came from a large American-Italian family. Um, you know, stereotypical like the rest. We like our sausage, our capicola, uh, gabagool, as some call it, <laughs> um, pepperoni, calabrese, you know, all, the, all that stuff. It's just what we always did growing up around Christmas when it was cold enough to work in the garage uh, to take place for a refrigerator. And, you know, it was always in preparation for Christmas Eve for sausage and peppers, you know, sweet for for most of the crew, and some hot from, you know, my nanu, who uh, his grandfather was from Calabria, Italy, also a golden toque chef. There's only one of 100. Or he was one of 100 in the entire world. Uh, I don't really know what golden toque stood for in the 80s, but it was a big deal. 
and my grandfather came from that. So it's just like a long lo- a line of food lovers and pork eaters. You know, this is what we did. And um, I, I remember it clearly, like one of those first times of making it, just, you know, helping my, my Nanu, which is grandfather in Italian, you know, grind the, the pork through the grinder and just like smelling the crushed fennel and chili and salt mixing with the meat will, you know, forever be embedded in my head. And I think, you know, thinking back, I, that's probably where I got hooked. I mean, it's from there I just wanted to cook. Always made meatballs. You know, I'd make like red sauce and meatballs on a Tuesday before my parents got home from work just because, Lucky you know, parents. Yeah, knowing how to make a meatball properly <laughs> from those days of grinding pork and adding seasonings is kind of how that all started. So when did that love and, and making meatballs and making the, the Christmas salami and everything, when did that evolve into... I want to take this from just being a passion into I want to make it my career. How did you come to that decision? Well, I knew when I was in uh, culinary school here at Metro, um, I knew a part of my goal was obviously kitchen related. Uh, It was to have some sort of like small restaurant, you know, pre-fee menu only with a huge butchery and salumi, you know, department incorporated into this restaurant uh, uh, concept. So I knew it for a long time and I was actually able to live out that dream um, when I was working at the winery in Napa Valley. So it was like very high end food focus. We probably would have had like two Michelin stars if it rated wineries. We were, we were doing some great stuff, but joining that winery was, you know, part of, part of me joining that winery uh, was my concept to bring on a charcuterie focus program like all developed around their wines. I used all their wines in each salami batch to make a custom pairing wow. for that wine and created experience in Napa. So it just it's just been evolving from restaurant to restaurant to this winery and that concept got it it became very uh noticed in in the Bay Area and um just the food scene throughout the country actually. I got a ton of great positive attention from restaurants who wanted to buy it. And I couldn't do anything out of a winery legally, you know, and ship across state lines. So that's how I knew I had to make a decision. Um, Whether I just wanted to stay and do something real small and completely under the radar and very, very high end and focused on, you know, quality. But um, I always had a dream to have a product and some name on it. Not not just my my last name, but yeah, I I had the dream, you know, to kind of try and do something entrepreneurial and, and take it the distance. And being at that winery for almost seven years, you know, really captured that concept and catapulted it and forced me to make a decision, like I said. Mm-hmm. And that's how the brand came about. You mentioned that you went to Metro's Culinary mm-hmm. School. What what drew you to California after that? I was actually, I actually like finished up school early because I had a stage and a job offer in New York City. And I did some staging there in New York and landed a gig and was very excited. I believe it was sometime in March 2008 or 2007. I can't remember. Uh, two weeks before I had left, the restaurant was evicted by their landlord. Oh. Yeah. That, that'll change your plans real quick. It sure did. So I like, <laughs> I was living at my parents' house and had Rubbermaids packed I was living out of and was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to stay. I need to go. I need to learn. I want to jump in there and be in the mix. And uh, 
New York fell through. So I called my good buddy, Ben Maids. And uh, we talked about what he was doing. He was at Bouchon at the time, just a few months in. Uh, talked about how much he loved the area and what was going on there. And uh, it sounded like a great idea. And also Paul Urban. I have to give him credit for this because he previously staged at the restaurant I staged at and got a job offer. And the reason I moved, it was called the Martini House. Uh, Paul said, go to this place. Don't go to, don't follow Ben and go to Bouchon. Go do something cool. And this restaurant, Martini House in St. Helena, uh, changed it changed my life. So for listeners who, who aren't aware, Ben Maids is the owner of O'Courant here in Omaha, and Paul Urban is one of the owners of Block 16. So Tony's got some really good friends, very good friends. <laughs> some very talented friends who are now power players here in Omaha. Um, They're so, very talented chefs, but even better friends. Yes. They're great people. Yes. Um, so, so you get out to California. I'm assuming you started work as most people do, as a line cook or, you know, working in a pantry or something like that. Mm -hmm. Did you, was the goal always to get into some form of charcuterie or some form of of salumi? Or were you kind of just dipping your toe in the water and saying, I know I want to do food. Let's just see how this cooking thing goes. You know, maybe maybe I become a chef. Maybe, you know, maybe my path is a little bit different. Or was it always cured meats that you were striving towards? A little bit of both. At that age, I was just so immersed in cooking and wanting to be in the best place at the best time and learn from the best chefs and people around me. Uh, and this restaurant definitely was that. Um, it was known for its, you know, like natural and wild foraging menu. We had a whole, you know, a la carte menu, a chef's tasting menu, and then a complete mushroom tasting menu. From Whoa. From the amuse-bouche to the dessert was centered around mushrooms. What? It was a fascinating restaurant. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So um, all that aside and what I learned there and how intimidating it was at the age of 20, 21, somewhere back there I always, you know, knew and wanted to be around sausage making and salumi charcuterie. So um, just, you know, I worked in the pantry from the bottom, uh, worked through all the stations, was in line to be a, a junior Sioux, um, but through all of that, I always, you know, kind of gravitated towards meat, meat station, helping out the meat cook who was ahead of me. And it developed into pretty much me going in before my shift and creating a charcuterie program for that restaurant. And mind you, it was a Michelin restaurant. The chef was very serious, uh, very well regarded. And if it was shit, it wasn't getting on the menu. And I had, you know, a whole spread on the menu. We created a charcuterie platter at the restaurant that didn't you know exist before that so uh it worked out well i got to do i got the best of both worlds so how did you start doing that you mentioned you came in before your shift started did you just show up and start doing it or did you have to go to the chef and and Mm -hmm. pitch him on this idea like how did that start yeah yeah i had to definitely give him a pitch and present a you know a deck no it was just he he knew about what i loved doing you know it was an open restaurant we talked there was great team camaraderie so yeah i just talked about my interest and what i loved you know if we made like a a sugo for a dish from duck you know i was the one who got to do it because i loved making you know sausage or meatballs and ragus uh with that love of 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 charcuterie and grinding meat and adding ingredients to it they entrusted me with it so uh it just kind of cultivated and and snowballed from there you know he saw that i can make that so then well we have all these uh you know squab you know pieces or this and that we can't really utilize let's turn it into a sausage and then we would you know we would do that or i'd make it like a boudin from rabbit you know and just 
just it just turned into something, you know, pork. We got the main cuts on the menu, but there were some bits here and there that needed to get used up. So uh, showed him how to ferment and and dry age in the in the wine cellar. And the som- the sommelier hated me because it, st- <laughs> it stunk up and you know took up a corner of the of the wine room. But um, we had a great uh, charcuterie platter because of it. So you mentioned you come into this restaurant and you're starting at the bottom. You're just working in the pantry. Yep. How do you start to show off some of these skills so that other people start to take notice that, hey, maybe this this kid's got something. He understands meats in a way that maybe even some of us don't. How, how do you start to get down that path where you earn that trust to start developing this charcuterie program? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I had to go in before my shift, like three to four hours, followed by a 12-hour shift online at a station that had to, you know, keep up and maintain standards. So I had to do it on my own time and create how I knew, keep it simple, do the stuff that I knew how to do well, and just put it out there and let the chefs uh, say yes or no. And it just, it took off. It became what it, what it was, and I hope, uh, you know, was, was after I left as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I know you're someone who prioritizes learning and growing at all times. As you're creating this charcuterie menu, how are you developing your salumi craftsmanship? Are, are you getting the chance to constantly experiment? Are you, are you doing stages at other restaurants? Are you know did, where are you taking in all this knowledge as you continue to build this program? Are you talking the program now or back then? When back I was, then, um, well, I mean, it was just reading, being obsessed with regionality, as I still am today, very much so, um, and making it kind of just you know mesh with this restaurant style. Um, you know, further, you know, in my career after that restaurant, it was, I was starting to look into restaurants that had a whole animal, you know, butchery program or focus of whole animal utilization. You know, that's where that came afterward, that cat, you know, snowballed into where I am today. But back then it was just utilizing and, you know, instead of turning everything into something similar, let's create something real unique. And, you know, we had like a white pepper and nutmeg salami that I created from, um, what was it? Yeah, it was it was duck. It was duck tenders. So like flavors or seasonings that go on a duck breast, I took that and put it into a sausage, a salami, and just made it into something that people are used to, but in a different format in total. Uh huh. Yeah. What creation or what what thing that you experimented with and and ended up making something? When you look back, are you most proud of? Like, is there anything that just pops to mind? Like, you just mentioned that duck sausage mm-hmm. right there. Is there anything that just pops like, you know, I had this idea. It shouldn't have worked. It was awesome. Like, is there any anything that stands out from your career? I mean, it's all, they're all like my children. It's like something. <laughs> you can't pick I, one. I yeah. love them all. I can't pick one. I mean, there's some really unique stuff I was able to pull off at this winery, uh, Del Dado Vineyards. Because, I mean, how many people that are like in love with pork and salumi get to work at a winery and what, what, what comes along with that. So, I mean, like this time now, uh, crush harvest out there in Napa, it's beginning. It'll go from now, August, all the way through November. I mean, I was able to utilize like grape skins that were fermented and pressed from the tanks into salumi, you know, and like, again, that's, I wasn't the one to create that. I don't think, but um, they do that in the Emilia Romana region. You know, they utilize this pumice, these pressed fermented grape skins in different, you know, preparations. So, I mean, I did something with that that was so cool. Before it was pressed, so I had, like, skins, seeds, 
and juice still in it, but was fermented flavored. It was incredible. And I took that and like ran it through a rice mill, a food mill, and extracted all that just like just bright purple, just I don't even know substance, <laughs> and incorporate it into a spreadable salami like induya. Everybody's heard of induya. Well, I took this like a sweet savory route to induya and did it with you know uh, like I keep saying fermented grape skins and juice. It was like a purple pork spread. It was awesome. Wow. Yeah. So and wild, like side of the road. There's just wild fennel all over Napa. So I just pulled over and just picked a bunch of wild fennel. Did a fennel and uh, grape pumice spread. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned you know you get a you start working at this winery and this is a highly unique type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was the first one in North America. I'll, I'll give myself that you know feather in the cap. There was no other charcuterie or butchery operation. In a winery in North America. Right. So where did that opportunity come from? Well, when I was working at uh, Perbaco in San Francisco, I was 23, 24, um, working a long, long hours. You know, I was a junior sous chef there. Uh, that restaurant was incredible with, like I said earlier, um, regionality. And, you know, the chef like, was like a history buff on dishes and where they came from and why we're cooking them this way. Um, but I saw what that chef was up against every day. A guy was there before me and calling tickets, and he just didn't look happy all the time. And I just thought, like, man, do I want to be like that when I'm 40-something, you know? And that's where, honestly, my career took a big change. So I knew the chef at the winery, and I wanted a break. I wanted to do something different and, and really focus, again, on, on my love for butchery and salami. But, like, go a really just a distant foreign route that I, not even I knew at the time which were those custom pairings and, you know, um, collaborations with the wines that were made at this exclusive winery. So I knew the chef at the winery, contacted him with this idea. Let's, let's, let's make Napa something that's, you know, in relation to Tuscany. You don't go to Tuscany or Provence or, um, you know, Rioja region in Spain and not have salumi and wine in the same spot. And Napa Valley did not have that. And I didn't really think about it in that much depth back then, but it turned into that. And that's where the whole concept really sparked. I always, I always find it interesting when someone introduces a new concept to a region or to a city. So, you know, you mentioned this is, this is not uh, an unfamiliar concept in different parts of the world, mm-hmm. but in California at that time, if someone goes to a winery, they're not expecting charcuterie or they're not expecting, you know, these these beautiful cured meats. What was the... But they want it. So the initial reception was, it was good? Were, were people confused or were they just like, no. right off the bat, it was just like, yes, this is awesome? People were floored. It went over so well. And I mean, I knew it would. I mean, not like, you know, it's yeah. not rocket science. People <laughs> are drinking good wine. You want some like cheese and crackers is great, but you know, some salty, you know awesome, funky flavor, you know, cave-age salumi. And that's what we did. And it was received so well. And like I said, my, my, not my reputation, but the reputation of the cured meat blew up in the Bay Area. Um, I mean, uh, legendary wine critic Robert Parker frequently visited Napa and would always stop at Del Dado. The wines are fantastic there. Um, they have, you know, I don't think anything less than a 96 rating by him. And... 
I, I got to know him. So every time he showed up for to, to judge our wines and taste them for his Wine Advocate magazine, before he'd show up, his assistant would call and say, I want Tony's prosciutto sliced on the table wow. prior to the tasting because I want it along with the wines or to help clear my palate. That was huge. And I didn't really know who he was at the time, but I, I later you know, did and got to meet him and talk to him. Got my picture with him uh, to prove it. And uh, he wrote about me in The Wine Advocate, which was huge for me. I mean, I was so honored, you know, just because of my love for charcuterie. And he knew we created a concept that did not exist in North America. So, I mean, it was very validating and a reason, you know, I am where I am today because of it. Mm -hmm. This is clearly a a position and a job that, that you loved very much. How hard was it to come to the decision to kind of break off on your own and, and start in Contro Cured? Um, it was, you know, it was a good risk because I was at that winery for a while. They were, you know, we were in the middle of a business plan and a, and a, and a design with them. They decided to go a different route with their family, a decision to make another winery. Uh, I lost that battle and just had to, you know, adjust and, and move forward. So uh, I knew I wanted to do it after the amount of attention that my product gained. I had to get it to the right people and the chefs in the country that I wanted Salumi to be associated with. You know, it's not just it's not just for a wood board and a Friday night with a bottle of wine. Like I, I, I treat Salumi as I did the food and and plates I was presenting at these restaurants. I want it recognized at the highest level of gastronomy and cuisine in America as it is in Spain and Italy. You don't go to Michelin restaurants in Spain and Italy and not have some form of cured meat somewhere on the menu. And again, I achieved that with you know, getting it into the French Laundry at their 20th anniversary. I was the only outside vendor. Um, David Kinch, Manresa, three Michelin star restaurant. We became friends. I custom cure Culatello and Hamon for him for his restaurant in Los Gatos, California. Um, I was even dry aging pork racks for him like, like beef, and he was putting it on his VIP menu at his three Michelin star restaurant. So... I achieved what I wanted to, not for myself and my bragging rights, but for the art of charcuterie and its place among the best restaurants and, and menus across the country. How proud are you of, and maybe proud isn't even the right word, but like, what does it mean to you that this, this thing that you're so passionate about in charcuterie, it's finally getting the respect in America that, that you feel it should, and, and that just continues to grow, and you've played such a big part in that. What does that mean to you? I'm extremely proud. I mean, it's, it's a lot of pride. Like, uh, if anybody who knows me and is listening to this podcast, those who don't know me, I'm not arrogant, and I do not brag. I just go at everything I do with all heart, a lot of determination and energy, and uh, driven by passion. That's just how I, that's how I work. That's how I do when I'm making a pasta dish. And that's how I work when it definitely comes to this craft and my, my love of it. So what is it like for you as, you know, clearly your product is, as you start to work at this winery is becoming very well known in, in that region and in California. But when you start, you know, getting the attention of the French laundry, when you start getting the attention and your product is being featured on Michelin star restaurants in just all over the country, not even in, just in California, mm-hmm. What is that like for you? Is that kind of a surreal experience looking back, or did you just kind of see that progression along your whole career that that arrow was just continually rising and going up? Well, I mean, I push hard. I expect a ton for myself, and I felt it would get there. Uh, it's amazing to see it there. And, you know, when I um, 
respectfully ask the chef to put my name on the menu along with that product because I want people to know where it's coming from and the work that went into it. it it's a huge self-accomplishment. I mean, how could you say it? <laughs> I still have more I want to do, you know, and Omaha is going to reap the benefit of that. There's some fun stuff to come. But uh, it, it, it means a lot. You know, I just, not even from anybody else to pat me on the back. I just know what I put into it. And it's just believing in yourself. You know, and it's, it's easy to not. So when you do believe in yourself and have a goal, just stick to it. Go for it. I understand that we might not be able to talk about all the fun stuff to mm-hmm. come because sometimes stuff is in the works and it's not ready to sure. be brought to the public yet. But is there anything that you want to tease out or, or talk about right now that people should get excited about? Well, I mean, like I've mentioned, what we're doing at Certified Piedmontese, right. and, you know, a, a ton of credit to the ownership there, um, recognizing who I am, what I do, and to let me do it uh, without any interference because he sees quality and lets people do what they do. I just really highly respect that. Shane Pete, uh, yeah, Shane Pete. And then, um, you know, um, the, the concept that I talked about with the value at, at, at Certified Piedmontese, it's going to be fun. You know, you're not the... You're not going to have to shuffle through a catalog to look through, you know, to find charcuterie for your restaurant, Omaha. You know, you're going to be able to just get your rep, whoever it is at CP, Certified Piedmontese, and a truck's going to bring it to you locally. You know, it's going to be world-class salumi, beef bacon, beef, yes. you know, pork bacon, uh, smoked sausages. You know, we're going to do it all, and it's going to be right here locally in Nebraska. So, I mean, I do have a goal and a dream. It's no, It's no secret, you know, to have... Something retail focused with cured meats and encontro cured attached uh, in Omaha someday, hopefully. You know, if I'm lucky enough, I'll, I'll achieve that too. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly cannot wait for that day. That sounds very exciting. It'd be fun. But in the current state, working down at the Mercado and, and with certified Piedmontese, I, I want to touch on that a little bit because one of the things that struck me most from my conversation with the guys that worked on there with Jordan and Todd and we have a great crew and Zach. Yeah. Plug that right now and point it out. We have a fantastic crew. I'm so glad that, you know, Todd Abood and, and Zach Midget, you know, landed where they are to take the pressure off of me and my great associate, Nick Munger. You know, we started that, that concept with Ben Maids and Nick and I, you know, started Mercado. So it's great to have a, a full rounded team right now. And we all get a focus in, in our respective you know areas of where we excel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's all kinds of talent down there, mm-hmm. but also the Peds have really given you guys just all the toys to play with. That that was something that those guys really talked about. Is is they walked into that kitchen and mm-hmm. and basically are they were given whatever they wanted to cook with, and that has allowed them to. You know, it's it's taken off any cooking shackles and just allowed them to create all these different things. Did you have a similar experience when you first started working at the Mercado where it was like, I've worked with some great, you know, some great machinery, some great products before, but like, this is fun. This is like getting the keys to a brand new car. Yeah, pretty much. It was beautifully designed, you know, all around. I was not part of the design in the Mercado, but what is there and how it flows and functions we make it work. It's good. The equipments that we need is there to get the job done. Uh, but what I'm doing next door for, you know, the value add line, uh, I have chosen every single piece of equipment and the entire flow of the process, including the air handling systems for dry aging to, to mimic uh, natural outside seasons. It's the way I cure everything. And that's that's been, you know, very fun. And I'm honored that they tr- entrust us to do, you know, what we do. Uh, everything has to get approved. 
we're not just running around, you know, spending people's money. Like we're doing it the right way. We're getting what we need to do the job done, to get the job done right. And the ownership, you know, they see the investment and, and they understand it, it's needed to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I, uh, I reached out to Jordan and I asked him if there was anything that I should ask you about. And I love Jordan. He's, he seems like a great guy he from is. the interactions I've had with him. But he said I had to ask you about yeah. as Casa Bovina and the Mercado were being developed, just the crazy schedule that you, he, Ben, and Nick Munger yeah. underwent. He said you guys would commute to Lincoln from Omaha in the morning, open the Mercado around 7 or 8 a.m., Go through the whole day, prep for dinner, work service, clean until midnight, commute home, take a quick nap, and that was every weekend for about a month until the restaurant started to get more staff and get things fired up. What was that time like for you? Well, it was it was almost three months. Three months, yeah. okay. So he undersold it. Three <laughs> just, months, just under three months to get it where it was, you know, really, you know, rolling and things were clicking right. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a push. You know, it was easier when I was in my 20s, I'll say that much, <laughs> for sure. I got two kids, I'm 34, like, yeah, it was a definite push, but I mean, our mentalities and our backgrounds trained us for it. We knew what we were up against getting into it, and we knew what we wanted to unfold there, you know, concept-wise, that you've been able to experience now, you know. Again, not to pat ourselves on the back, we deserve a little pat, but uh, there was a lot that went into that, and it was a three-man crew in the kitchen, and Jordan working his magic out front, you know, and uh, we had to bring it together. It was a skeleton crew, you know. So, I mean, yeah, Nick and I opened up the butcher shop around 7, 7.30. It was new, kind of had no idea what we were doing, but we were just trying to open it and create something special. And we were working till 4.45, you know, straight, and then a quick cleanup properly, not leaving it messy, getting upstairs for a, a service at 5 o'clock. I mean, 15 minutes to like look over a station prep while we were in service. It was, it was a push. I'll just say that <laughs> we got a good crew and they're all still there. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, all that hard work is clearly paid off. Uh, Casa Bovina is a fantastic restaurant now. I'm very excited to, to come back again. And I can't wait to see, you know, how you continue to develop that value add program and everything. I think that's really exciting. Um, Thank you. before I, before I get you out of here, I want to ask you, what is, I'm just going to give you a chance to clear the air on something. What is the most under, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about salumi and cured meats that you'd like to help people understand? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, It became like in a good way, but in a way that kind of bothers me. And I'll explain that. Uh, It became a trend probably 10 years ago. You know, oh, charcuterie platter, in-house salumi. Like, you saw the word induya on every single menu. You know, I grew up making this stuff. I mean, my grandfather had Calabrian chilies from Calabria that I still have today and grow. So, like, not, it's not like I'm the best at everything, but some people just shouldn't do it. <laughs> and it's, it's, a craft, it's, it's a craft where if you don't know what you're doing or don't do it properly, you know, you're, you're working with you know, botulinum, it can be very dangerous. It can be fatal. Uh, so if it doesn't look right, just don't eat it. That's my advice on charcuterie boards. But at the same time, I love and respect that people are doing it because they're understanding, you know, oh, I want to buy this local pig from this farm I know, but I can't put a whole ham on a menu. The chops work great. The tenderloins work great. What else? And, the, you know, they get creative. They learn pâtés. They dabble with uh, salami, which is, some people don't even know it needs to ferment. 
for three days, two days, let alone dry age for maybe 90 days. Uh, and there, there's like, again, back to our conversation earlier, like there's a definite art to it. So I want people to understand that if you see a charcuterie board on a menu, ask about it. Uh, ask how the chef, the chef is doing it, where he's dry aging it. Like ask about the conditions of it and give it a, give it a go if you want to taste it and see, but just be careful and take a good look at it. You know, it's, it's it could be a dangerous process. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that people, uh, have taken the leap and learned it. And there's so much information out there on it now, but uh, at the same time, not everybody needs to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something I've definitely found. I'm not typically someone who really likes charcuterie boards because I, 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 most of them that I eat, I'm just kind of like, okay, this is, this is fine. I don't really understand the appeal. But then I think when you go to a restaurant like a Casa Bovina, I'll shout out the boiler room. I think they have a great charcuterie program, um, well, let me just, yeah, on that note, I mean, Luke, go for it. Lucas Siverson yeah. is my right-hand man in the Mercado. He, when I moved back to town, he knew about it. I think I contacted him, but, I mean, he uh, was a longtime um, uh, supporter of what I did out in California. We talked through Instagram and stuff. Uh, as soon as I moved back, he jumped, he jumped ship and has been by my side and will be my you know, right-hand man in the value-add program, so... He's he's helping me out a ton, and we're learning from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think, great guy. And I think that's why, building off that point, that's why a great charcuterie mm-hmm. tastes amazing. Like, there's a reason that charcuterie has such a strong reputation and such a strong following. Yep. Most places that I've found don't quite live up to that, but the ones that do, you you taste it's, it, and it's, it's like, out. okay, yeah. I, I understand now. Yeah. This makes sense. Exactly, which goes back to, you know, not everybody should do it because if you see it's got, like, some yellow or brown edges and it smells like uh, an old can of peanuts, like rancid, <laughs> that's the problem, and that's what you don't want to eat, and that's what I don't want America to associate with what in-house charcuterie means. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, beautiful, clean, pure, salty, wonderful product. Uh, and that's that's what people just you know it's education. Mm-hmm. That's what people need to know. Tony, this has been such a fantastic, fascinating conversation. Really delving into something that I don't, I did not know a ton about, and still don't know a ton about. But I know a lot more now yeah. than I did an hour ago. And There's I thank you for it. the introduction. Um, we've teased out a lot of a lot of different things during this episode. But I want anyone who's listening right now, if they if they heard this and they're like, man, I need some of these products. I need to try this stuff. Mm-hmm. You can get it from the Mercado yep. in, in Lincoln. You can get it um, off of Tony's website, incontrocured.com. Are there any other ways that people can get a hand on, get their hands on your products and try them out for themselves? Yeah, I mean, so right now the Mercado is not a USDA-inspected facility, so what I'm doing there is from my previous USDA-inspected facility, so I could slice it there, hand you a you know beautiful two ounces of jamon mangalitsa, uh, or some salami or copa, but uh, as far as you know, uh, nationwide distribution or getting it into your restaurant, uh, I don't have a lot available because we're working on the new facility where we'll start carrying everything there. Uh, but what's on the menu at Casa Bovina and in the Mercado is in contracted from my California facility. Beautiful. The, so uh, yeah, until we release the new stuff from the new facility, there's not a lot available yet. Well, that's just something to to get excited about and and look on the horizon for then yes all right well tony i gotta let you go uh this is this is your day off you deserve a chance to actually enjoy it rather than appreciate it spend time talking to me so i'll let you out of here thank you so much for joining the show today been a pleasure i'm really happy to be on the show and 
Support Omaha. Awesome. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.